Chomp Chomp so good. Bethy and All right, it looks like we are merged. Excellent. Uh hey, Beth, guess what? What? You are being recorded. Excellent. That is the only end also being recorded, but I only have to inform you because... Because you're the one doing the recording? recording. Yeah. You're by default aware. And both of our states require us to inform each other, so that works out well. Should I be informing you? Uh, No, because you're not recording me. (laughs) (laughs) But we are both required to inform each other if we are recording each other according to our states. That's good information to know. This would not be permissible in court yeah. if, if we did not inform each other, at least this in is, Washington and California. This is, this is all good information. Right? Yeah. I want to say New Mexico is one of the states that you don't have to inform. Right. But I don't actually know for sure. I might just be making that up. But I want to say New Mexico because I think I heard about it on Better Call Saul which takes place in New Mexico. And is a TV show. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) We should acknowledge that fact. (laughs) Yes. It's a TV show about a lawyer. Yeah, true. So, you know, that's a thing. It would require fact-checking. Yeah, it would require (laughs) fact-checking. I would think so. Yeah. I would hope so. All right. So shall we dig in? Yeah, big big topic today. Big topic. Now, you know, this podcast tends to be pretty light. Uh, it's the intent of just two two ladies who are friends chit-chatting about whatever we feel like chit-chatting about. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, last week we enjoyed a lively conversation about alcohol. Right. Totally and fun. Very fun. Very fun. Um, but with everything going on in the world, it's just really difficult to – have those really light conversations when there are other um, such important things that need discussion. Yeah, when neither of us are feeling particularly light about something, it yeah. tends to be, yeah. Yeah, so, for, so um, and it's not COVID. We're not going to talk about COVID, except for just <laughs> now when I just brought it up. Right, for um, once in this year. <laughs> still an important thing to remember. Still continue yeah. to wash your hands. Still continue to wear a mask. Well, it um, will it will come up a little bit when yeah. we're both talking about um, demonstrations and protests later. True. So, yeah. so demonstrations and protests. We're talking about Black Lives Matter. We yeah. are talking about the protests and the riots that are happening right now all over our country. Um, you know, we're talking about racism. We're talking about white privilege, and and everything. Yeah. In forty five minutes. <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna try. There's I mean, to unpack. <laughs> I feel like if we go over, if we go over the forty-five on this particular subject, then we go over the forty-five, and that's it's, it's okay. okay. Yeah, agreed. Okay, all right. Okay. Um, so I say we just uh, be mindful of time and dig right in. Alrighty. Uh, um, so we're. So it's me. Yeah. 
Um, so the fir- the very first thing we're going to do is our personal journeys and unpacking our own racism slash white privilege. Um, so I don't know if you guys all know this or not. Beth and I are both white. We yep. we identify as Caucasian. We do not have um, any other thing to identify as. Um, so we both understand that we are coming from a place of privilege in this. We are not coming from a place of full understanding of what it likes, what it is like to be a person of color in our world right now. Mm-hmm. And we are trying very hard to be respectful of that. Yeah. There are plenty of white people who have a voice, and yeah. we would prefer that voice be given to people of color in this situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, we understand that also white people have a platform and we need to use that platform for the good. Yeah. Um, Well, and I would even say that a lot of the messages, at least that I plan to share today are really aimed at our fellow white people. Yeah, exactly. We're trying to help those around us to educate themselves better about what it means to be a white person in the United States, what it means to be a black person in the United States. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so growing up in our small town, Beth also grew up in the small town, uh, we did not have a lot of racial diversity. Uh, the, the, primary, um, the primary racial diversity, the, it was pretty much our town in the census was 50-50 uh, Caucasian and Latinx. Um, and it is to this day still pretty segregated. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the schools are segregate, segregated. There is a lot of um, racial tension, particularly at Wenatchee High School, um, mm-hmm. not as much at Eastmont. Yeah, um, and I wouldn't say segregated as, as in going to separate schools, but people well, yeah. keeping to their own. Exactly. People people are, are hanging out in groups. Uh, that are based off of their race mm-hmm. and culture. Social segregation. Uh, more, exactly. Um, so growing up in this town raised by white parents, and I I want to preference this as saying, you know I love my parents with my whole heart and soul <laughs> and that they are really good people. But I was still raised with a certain amount of racism towards the Hispanic culture in particular. Mm-hmm. And it has taken me a very, very, very long time to admit to the racism that I have within me because of how I was raised and to fight against it. Um, And it started with a friend of ours, actually, who is a person of color, artist. Um, Artist is half Filipino. And... One day, and I, I, you know, we've been friends with artists since we were in the ninth grade. Um, and one day, artist felt that she could share her truth with me about what it felt like growing up as a person of color in our small town. And it blew me away. Honestly, it really did. I didn't, I, I had never even noticed what she was going through. And that's because I came from such a place of privilege. I I didn't have to notice it because I could just 
live my life and and go on and 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 not realize how much racism was leveled her way and and I will say that I did not this was not an immediate about face like I didn't immediately hear her truth and think oh wow I'm a racist and I need to educate myself I heard her truth and my first response was no you didn't go no that's not how that was that's not how that was at all and it took me even further, it took me probably another five years after after she finally told me about the racism she had experienced. Uh, and she didn't she didn't even open up to me about this until our uh, after our senior year of high school. Um, and it, it it probably took me at least another five years after that to start realizing what she had been through growing up as a person of color in a small town. And then growing up as a person of color in a, well, in the Pacific Northwest, which is still predominantly white Dutch immigrants. And, and, and there is a lot of racism against migrant workers in particular. And I had heard basically if you look like you're Latinx, you get this sort of racism. And and later I, I even heard it years down the road. You know, this year one of our one of our best friends' husbands who is um he's actually uh of Mexican descent, uh shared his his um experience with racism in high school with me and it blew me away. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it did blow me away is so sad because I I wasn't looking. I did, you know, I was happy living in my privileged world. I did not understand what they were going through. And, you know, I'm, I am still, we'll talk about white guilt later. Mm -hmm. I am still very much ashamed of my initial response to my, to my close friends explaining their experiences with racism with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so yeah, I mean, it took me a long time to get to that point, and now as an adult, after that, after having had many wonderful conversations with artists, after having that very hard-hitting conversation with my friend's husband, that literally just happened this year, um, I've. I'm I'm still growing and I'm still trying to grow. I'm still seeking out literature that will help me better understand what it's like to be a person of color in our country and I I'm opening my eyes to the level of propaganda and and I think the very first step in my case is just admitting that I've had that I've had those feelings of racism. 100% I've felt them. I've had thoughts um I used to say to myself, well, I'm not judging this person because of their skin color. I'm judging them because their cultural norm is wrong according to my cultural norm. That's still racism. <laughs> mm-hmm. It still is. And I was just trying to, you know, I mean, I was trying to convince myself that I'm not a bad person. And, yeah. But that's not what this is about. Mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm not a bad person, but no. 
I 100% have been and still am sometimes a racist because of the privilege I was born into as a white person, because I am in the majority and I do not understand what it's like to be oppressed because of my skin color. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my own journey as it still continues today. I mean, I'm, I'm still learning things about the civil rights movement. Like I, I posted that thing on Facebook today, which is like, I'm still learning stuff about the civil rights movement that I, sh- I feel like I should have been told in high school and I never was. Mm-hmm. It's, just, yeah. it's appalling and shocking. Yeah. Uh, I think so. for me, um, I mean, obviously I grew up in the same town. I moved there when I was seven. So really my formative years were all spent there in small town. Um, mm-hmm. I remember in elementary school, I knew of two um, Asian students that went to school with me um, and one black student who I still remember to this day very fondly. Her and her mm-hmm. mother actually lived in the same apartment complex to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know through a common friend that she suffered a lot of racism. Um, her and her mother both all throughout their lives here in the Valley. Um, yeah. And then obviously in the, in the, when I switched over to the other side of the river, the other town, <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a lot of the same. There were very few, I can think of one, black student that we went to school with off yeah. the top of my head. Yes, I walked with uh, mm-hmm. her at graduation. Yeah. yeah. And and similarly, I uh, maybe a small handful of um, Asians, a very yeah. small yeah. handful. Very um, small, yeah. And I specifically remember being in Spanish class with um, Latinx individuals and students and um, almost teasing them for not speaking Spanish as much as their family, you know, like, well, we, we know more Spanish than you do. And right. I'm not looking back, like, how cool that was to say. Yeah. Um, and because they were just trying to, and their parents who wanted them to speak English were just trying to make their lives easier because we had made it so hard. Exactly. Um, and those are realizations that I'm kind of, it's all these realizations that I'm coming to later in life of like looking back, like hindsight is twenty twenty, and it just seeing everything that, you know, I witnessed and I participated in, it's like, it's eye opening. but really moving to California was the biggest, the biggest shift for me, not just about my white privilege and racial issues, but just moving to California in general really opened my eyes to the fact that I was not, I was not a conservative I was not, um, I was not the person I thought I was. Right. And being exposed to so many different viewpoints and experiences really changed my perception of everything. And that was really the first shift. But even then, I was still like, holding on to, um, you know, I, I wanted to avoid white guilt. And so I was trying to hide the fact that I still upheld a lot of, like, racism and racial stereotypes and you know, participated in that. And mm-hmm. then as I went on to my master's program, the, a master's in leadership development here in California as well, it, those discussions that we had, now this leadership, it was not an organizational leadership uh, program, like through like a business school. It was through the College of Education. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very unique program in the fact that it's really focused on um, like transformational leadership and social justice and making real change as opposed to like a traditional like organizational leadership structure that right. basically teaches you how to be a manager or a supervisor. This isn't that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, and so it was a lot of like looking deeply and a lot of really um, like raw discussion about racism and diversity and experiences. And through there, you know, I met, you know, one of my very best friends, Tracy, who, um, you know, she is an Asian woman and she has uh, her experiences and just the way she kind of spoke her truth and pointed out things that I just never thought about really opened my eyes. And I'm so appreciative of my friendship and relationship with her just because she helped me really grow as an ally and really understand my own white privilege in a way that I really, it finally clicked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I don't think that people should rely on people of color. Like, I don't think white people should rely on people of color to show them the way. And right. I think that's it's why we're having this job. conversation now is that yeah. we need we need to take that load off of them because they've been bearing it for so long. Um, and then really, like most recently, I mean, just a few weeks ago, I had a book club. I didn't have a book club. I participated in a book club and we read a book called uh, So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijeoma um, Oluo, who is a black woman. And she wrote it. And when you, if you read the book, she writes a lot about um, – She's writing both to black people, people of color, white people, and she really lays it out there in this really raw, honest way. And again, and with that, so I've, I've begun to, you know, realize my own white privilege and my own racism, but this book really helped give me the language to be able to speak about it more confidently and more eloquently in a way that I feel like I'm now being understood a little more um, and a little better. And so it's just this it's this never ending learning process yeah. and journey of like getting more information and sharing that information, mm-hmm. um, lifting voices of people of color. Um, so yeah, that's just been my journey. It's just this, you know, just never ending search for education and knowledge and understanding. And, and it won't. And yeah, and that's the thing is that it won't end for us. Mm-hmm. But we we need to. Con- Continue to seek out that education. Yeah. To, con- to continue to not put that burden, like you said earlier, on mm-hmm. our people of color friends, but to seek it out on our own. Yeah. And figure out what what that job as an ally should yeah. look to us. Yeah. And I want to say too, like not, um, but seeking out their stories and hearing their stories and listening to their stories without mm-hmm. um, putting the burden of explaining and and, and educating. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, they can speak their truth and we should listen. And mm-hmm. then we should seek the education on our own. Yeah. So, anyways. So. That's good. No. Yeah. So, obviously, there were a lot of protests all over the country. Yes. Um, <laughs> in both of the cities that we both live. Yeah. And I'll, I'll talk about mine. Mine's going to be pretty brief. I Like we mentioned before, I live in a very small town. I live in a very small conservative town. Um, mm-hmm. And... I, you know, I figured, I was actually very surprised that we had protests of any kind here even to start with. I mean, it it was pretty shocking to me. And, I mean, exciting. I was so excited that we did, but also shocked that we did. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the first protest that I heard of actually was um, this weekend, and it was about 120 so uh, really I mean, I I said kids in my notes, but it's, you know, like young 20-somethings that were out there with masks, 
social distancing signs raised in Washington Park. It's a park that is smack dab in the downtown area of our of our town, um, and uh, and it was covered by our local newspaper and our radio stations. And I, I thought that was pretty neat. But then today there was another protest, and it was significantly larger. Same area. Um, mm-hmm. Or not today, sorry, it was yesterday. Um, and it was uh, the same area, and it was huge. There were literally people lying in the street uh, with their arms behind their backs, like they were they had been um, that mm-hmm. like they had been handcuffed. And um, there was 300 plus people, um, which you know for our town mm-hmm. is, That's is significant. pretty <laughs> impressive. Yeah, it filled up the whole area. Mm-hmm. I was I was quite stunned to to be honest with you. So um, yeah, I I was kind of proud of our little town. I know mm-hmm. it's not much, but I think every year we grow a little bit more brave. Yeah, I mean I don't. We're still a very conservative small town, mm-hmm. but I think that we get a little bit more loving every year too. The young people are really the youth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, that's the yeah, like that first yeah. group of protesters, they were all mm-hmm. I mean, probably late teens, young young 20s. I, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it looks like to me. So, yeah. Yeah. Mhm. I I I did hear there's been a lot of protests similar to the one that one in Wenatchee yesterday where people laying in the ground um you know, and I know there's some in particular that have laid on the ground for the entirety of the time that George Floyd was pinned mm-hmm. um, with, you know, some, a speaker calling out those those last words of his, calling for his mother. Calling for his mother. God, heartbreaking. I have chills. I can't um, breathe. Yeah. I can't breathe. They're going to kill me. I, I'm dying. Very, yeah, I'm dying. dying. Yeah very, very powerful and very impactful. And I I really love that Wenatchee chose to do another demonstration and another protest that mm-hmm. where they did lay in the street because I think that when people say, you know, a peaceful protest and they, you know, pat everybody on the back for being so peaceful because the first one I saw videos and it was very, it was a silent protest. Mm-hmm. They were trying not to make a lot of noise. They were staying on the sidewalks. It was very um, polite. It was very polite, yeah. which in my opinion is, basically the opposite of what a protest should be. A protest should be disruptive. It should be, and I don't, and I don't want to say violent. I want to say that it should, it should disrupt. It should call it because it needs to call attention mm-hmm. to itself and to the cause. That's what protest is. It should be uncomfortable and it should be inconvenient because that's how we speak. And so I think this one, I know they blocked traffic for a very short time, but yeah. I'm glad they did. I think, I mean, yeah. I've heard that it was less than a minute. You know that it was yeah, it, very brief that they laid in the street, but but they did it and they disrupted. But, and, and for that small town, that's huge. Yeah, exactly. For for our mm-hmm. town, that was a giant jump. Mhm. So so obviously mine looked a little different. You know, being here in Huntington Beach, um, it was still relatively small. Uh, there was about mm-hmm. the reports that I've seen have said around 500. So okay. I mean, it pretty small for Southern California. Um, I think what was striking about it was that the police almost immediately deemed it an unlawful assembly. I got an wow. alert on my phone 
um, that an unlawful assembly was occurring and please clear the area if you're there. And um, it was just striking because a month ago, uh, a anti-lockdown protest of almost three times as many people or more. I want to say there were reports that saying two to 3,000 people were there um, for that particular one, and they were left alone. Um, I just want to tell you right now how pissed my husband's face is while you were saying that. Like, <laughs> you know yeah. he's a quiet, non-temperamental man, yeah. and he's literally <laughs> sitting over there with, like, the angriest face and shaking yeah. his head. Yeah. <laughs> really um, but yeah. Yeah, the reasoning that they gave uh, is that um, it was deemed an unlawful assembly because protesters were becoming violent with numerous assaults. And I will say... It was not a, a wholly peaceful protest. There were skirmishes that broke out. There was not looting. There was not rioting. Um, but there were, it was basically a few fist fights that broke out. And they yeah. broke out due to counter protesters that were coming and antagonizing the protesters. Right. To the point where one uh, white man uh, yelled at a car full of black people enjoying the celebration and not blocking traffic, driving in their car down the street and celebrating, and he yelled the N-word at them. Oh, my gosh. And he got punched. <laughs> well, good. And yeah. I'm not sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, seriously. He was trying to get a reaction, and he did. Yeah. And and it was that. It was a few fist fights of hecklers that were trying to get a rise out of the crowd, and sure enough, they did. And I mm-hmm. feel, I really feel that the cops were, that the, the police force were looking for a reason to shut it down. Yeah. Um, I will say the the city prepped all through Main Street. People were boarding up the businesses um, mm-hmm. in preparation for looting. Um, oh, interesting. Well, and what's most frustrating is that they were calling them looters and rioters before the protest even started. Yeesh. So it's just this. Anyway, so it was very frustrating in that way. Other than that, I mean, it was very, we did, they did impose a curfew. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the cities, most of the cities around us imposed a curfew. Um, so at 8 p.m., you know, I think Sunday we had to be in, um, you know, L.A. has been imposing curfews starting at like five. Um, right. So things are tense. I get, yeah, I mean, Seattle, the news from Seattle, I mean, there mm-hmm. has been looting and rioting. There has been destruction of property. There yeah. has been that, that viral picture going around of the little girl that got maced by a cop happened mm-hmm. in Seattle. Um so there, there is definitely some of that up here, but I live in such a small town yeah. that we have been lucky that it yeah. has remained pretty. I mean, you know, I mean, they're 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 trying they're they're definitely stepping outside of their comfort zone here, mm-hmm. but but it hasn't turned into anything violent yet. And I, I I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be one of those people that's like. They should stop being violent. It hurts their cause more than it helps. That's not what I'm saying mm-hmm. at all. All I'm saying is that I'm I'm just thankful that um, it seems like the general general attitude in my town has actually been one more of this is horrible. How do we stop this? And not yeah, they need to get out of the streets and yeah, yeah. And I will say, I and not to play, and I think that some of the reason that some of the protests, like in Huntington Beach and in Wenatchee, have also been 
relatively mild is that they are still predominantly white people that are participating because yes. our communities are predominantly white. Yeah, um, very And true. I feel like we don't feel we're – it's not that feeling of anguish and fear that these predominantly black neighborhoods are feeling like like in Minneapolis. So true. Is that right? It was Minneapolis. I get yeah, really was, bad yeah. with the M's, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Minneapolis, Minnesota is where the where the I main. I mixed up Minneapolis, Milwaukee, and Michigan. I guess maybe. I mean, that's a state, not a city, but same right. idea. Yeah, yeah. Minnesota. I mean, they're all M names. Yeah, but I want to make sure I get it right. Yes. Yeah, it's Minneapolis. Okay. Um. So, if I actually talking about protests, like I, so I want to talk a lot about the history of not necessarily of the Black Lives Movement, but of, like, protests and, you know, to – anyway. No, I'm really excited about this. Like, I know that this wasn't your area of study in history, but mm-hmm. to get to hear some of this stuff from somebody who is a history major who does know how to do her research, I'm actually really super excited. So. You know, granted, yeah, I did – I studied European history, so I don't yeah. – I didn't widely study – you know, the civil rights movement, just about right. as much as anybody did. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't do thorough research on this. Um, but also, it's not hard to find information on this, because it is a very prevalent topic. Right. Um, anyways, it is hard to find accurate information. Sometimes. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. yeah. So I don't really want to start, I want to address, but not start with, you know, slavery. And that is really what started everything. Right. Um, and but I want to start with Brown versus the Board of Education in 1954, which reversed the separate but equal doctrine that had been established by Plessy versus Ferguson back in 1896. Okay. Um, so, anyway, so we, we had separate but equal, or we reversed separate but equal, but really nothing changed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there were, in our history and in, in what we teach in schools, and, you know, you've talked about this recently, and I've heard it a lot, is there are so many examples held up about peaceful resistance. Mm-hmm. We learned about Rosa Parks and the Montgomery boy, bus boycott. Right. We learned about the sit-in movement um, and the marches of Martin Luther King Jr. These mm-hmm. are the examples of protests that were taught and given And as if, well, this is what it should be. And this is what it should look like. Mm -hmm. Um, And many will argue that that's true. I'm really not here to debate it either way. This Mm -hmm. is just what we've been taught. Yes. Um, So despite many instances of peaceful protest, violence against black communities continued and often went unpunished um, because of the systems of racism in place that protected white men. In partic- white people, but white men in particular, mm-hmm. um, including lynchings and false accusations against black people. Um, and one great example, terrible example, is Emmett Till, who was 14 years old. Now, when I looked this up, I, I don't remember him being so young. Also, I don't think I was ever taught about him in school. I was not. I, I didn't hear about Emmett Till until I started listening to uh, the Criminal Podcast, mm-hmm. which was this year. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. he was murdered in 1955 after being accused of flirting with a white woman. Yeah. Uh, and he wasn't. And, it was a false mm-hmm. accusation. It was a false accusation, but not just that, flirting. Yeah. Um, his murderers were acquitted by an all-white jury, and then they later admitted on TV 
that he had killed, that they had killed him. Yeah. And because of double jeopardy, they were immune. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So these systems protected them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in 1964, the Civil Rights Act, which is the most far-reaching act of legislation supporting racial equality in our history, um, it was passed through Congress. And, you know, we still talk about the Civil Rights Act and having how it was a huge, you know, victory. Um, but it didn't really change much. Um, yes, there were now legal protections for uh, black communities and people of color. But, mm-hmm. you know, that racism and the other structures that existed, um, especially on a state level and a local level, are still there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, after this, like, really heady rush of, like, the success and the civil rights movement and the Civil Rights Act, this anger and frustration um, of, you know, black communities still not seeing equality, social, economical, political, it was still very, they were still held back. They were yeah. still suffering and oppressed. Um, and this is what led to the black power movement. Um and so when you think of all this history, I mean, we didn't even talk about slavery in the many, many years. We didn't talk about when things were separate but equal, but even mm-hmm. just starting in the civil rights movement, even the, the peaceful protesters were tear gassed. They were beaten. They were black men were being murdered with no yeah. consequences. Yeah, um, I, uh, in the last, literally just this year since I've been listening to the criminal podcast, I've learned of two separate extremely important large quote-unquote race riots that Mm -hmm. happened in the american south during that time period that i was never i never no i never learned about we were never taught about the riots we were only ever taught about the peaceful protests exactly Um, but and the only time we were taught about riots is in the veil of the black panthers and why and malcolm x and why they were terrible for the cause See, and this is the thing that got me today that yeah. I mentioned earlier, just the, the sheer level of propaganda against the Black Panthers. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. all, you know, the only thing I really can remember from my childhood learning about the Black Panthers was that Samuel L. Jackson used to be one and that that somehow made him a bad person. Yeah, and I, and I remember believing it as a kid. Right? Like, I was told that the Black Panthers were wrong, and I believed yeah. it forever. Not yeah. forever, but for now. <laughs> no, but that they were purely a violent group yeah. and that they weren't really for racial equality. They were only mm-hmm. for um, black, black power. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dang, were we wrong. Yeah. And yeah. really, you see the parallels of life. They weren't, I mean, maybe some were, but I feel like they were just looking for black, they were looking for Black Lives Matter. Yeah. They were looking for the same power. Not more power. I mean, some, mm-hmm. like I said, some were. I can't speak for all of them. Right. I didn't do a deep dive into that. But, I mean, you feel like this, like, buildup of aggression against them and just systemic oppression. Like, of course, they're acting out and being angry. Like, yeah. you think of, like, these children who are sheltered and given no freedoms and given nothing and beaten. And they these are the ones that lash out and become violent. So, and we admit that these these are things of our own creation, mm-hmm. and we created this violence. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. No, I know it's insane. yeah. So 
on that note, I do want to address um, there, you know, there's a quote that's kind of been going around about um, Martin Luther King, you know, that riot is the language of the unheard. Um, and so much debate back and forth about like, well, this is bull because, you know, Martin Luther King was against riots. He was against violence. He was a peaceful protester. This is all. He would not be supporting what it is. So I want to read the full quote. Um, And it's from a 1967 speech that he gave at Stanford University called The Other America, Um, just to put it into context. Um, It is necessary for me to be as vigorous in condemning the conditions which cause persons to feel that they must engage in riotous activities as it is for me to condemn riots. I think America must see that riots do not develop out of thin air. Certain conditions continue to exist in our society which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. But in the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. And what is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last few years. It has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. And this was in 1967. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, and it's, Exactly. Perfect. And even now, I mean, I can't do math fast. How many years later, (laughs) we still haven't heard it. We have still failed. Yeah. You know, 60 years later. Yeah, 60 years. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. uh, another, you know, in the context of the current riots going on, the other quotes, and I I can't attribute it because I don't know the original, the origin, um, but an example of how white privilege sounds with relation to the riots is you keep saying, it's horrible that an innocent black man was killed, but destroying property has to stop. Try saying, it's horrible that property is being destroyed, but killing an innocent black man has to stop. Exactly. Because you're prioritizing the wrong part. Yeah. And I think that is what Mark, I, I, I can't speak for him and his experiences, but I feel like that is what he was trying to say in 1967 as well. That, mm-hmm. no, I don't. I don't think the rioting is right. No, I don't condone the violence. But but the point is that you haven't heard the message. Yeah. Well, that's, Let's not focus on the rioting and the violence. Let's focus on the fact that this message is still not being heard, no matter how we tell it. Really kind of what it comes down to is we've got a group of people in our country, a large group of people, who are prioritizing money and property Mm-hmm. over the lives of black men. Yes. And yeah. that's really whittled down to the basic. Yeah. And it kind of brings us down to, so Black Lives Matter, the term was first used in 2013, which I thought it was longer. Um, yeah, I would have thought I that was older, too. To the date, but it was, it, it came out um, when 17-year-old Trayvon Martin's murderer uh, was acquitted in 2012. Okay. And then, mm-hmm. you know, in... Um, in 2013, the Black Lives Matter term was first used on Facebook and Twitter as a hashtag. And now the Black Lives Matter Foundation is a global organization in the U.S., U.K., and Canada whose mission is to eradicate white supremacy and build local power to intervene in violence inflicted on black communities by the state and vigilantes. Um, and then I also want to mention that it gained a lot of ring of attention in 2016 when San Francisco 49ers players Eric Reed. Eli Harold and quarterback Colin Kaepernick kneeled during the national anthem uh, before the game against the Seattle Seahawks to draw attention mm-hmm. to the recent acts of police brutality. Um, 
to white outrage. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, I, I remember the anger from people, like, how dare he kneel during the national yeah. anthem? And I, I find it particularly funny now that all of those memes are cropping up that are like, mm-hmm. well, you guys need to figure out how to protest in a more peaceful way. It's like, yeah, that's what they were doing. and you We were tried. They yeah. tried. I can't say <laughs> exactly. we tried. I don't yeah, want to place not. myself in. I, I haven't been fighting this fight. But yeah. um, <laughs> they tried. Well, and you know, they tried like, to be the, peaceful, and the message yeah. wasn't heard. Well, we didn't. We thing. failed to hear the message. I remember actually hearing a, a person say that, like, what does what does Colin Kaepernick have to have to be upset about? He makes millions of dollars a year playing football. He just needs to shut up and and listen to the national anthem. And it's like he's fighting for yeah. the oppression of his entire race, not just the yeah. very few of them who get to be you know, NFL football players. Yeah. Well, these are the same people who refuse to wear a mask to protect other people. Yeah. So people are only thinking about themselves and they don't understand how somebody else can be thinking about others. About others. Yeah. 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 Um, so just to kind of wrap things up, I just want to talk about some statistics and some information that I think is really important in this topic for especially white people to know, and that's first addressing the statistics on police brutality. And you can go to a great website called mappingpoliceviolence.org. I've seen some great graphs from Mm -hmm. them. Um, They break it down really easily. They have the, you can download the Excel spreadsheet where they list it all out. Mm -hmm. Very clear. So um, in 2019, the police killed 1,099 people. And now I've seen different numbers on that, but the other number that I saw was like 1,004. Okay. Over a thousand people right. in 2019. Black people were 24% of those killed, despite wow. being only 13% of the population. Wow. So here's where white people get it wrong. They focus on the raw data that shows that more, in total, more white people were killed by police than black people. What hmm. they're failing to see is the relation to population and how hmm. that equals out to. Um, the, the rate of killing a black man is, or black person is 6.6 versus 2.5 for a white person. Right. Three times more likely to be killed. And of those killed, black men are one point, black people are 1.3 times more likely to be unarmed. Okay. Wow. So we're, they're, they're being killed at a higher rate and most, and more of them are unarmed when yeah. they are killed. Um, and also really interesting statistics, not specific to black people, but um, 99% of all killings from police from 2013 to 2019 have not resulted in officers being charged with a crime. I saw that graph. It's a graph of red mm-hmm. little men, and then down at the bottom, it's got four blue men, one of which is mm-hmm. dark blue. That one is all that indicates that the only person who's been a, who's who's been mm-hmm. charged. Everybody well, I think it's I think it's uh, I think it's rated. It's not like one per one. It's right. Each icon is, a, but but yes, yeah, it's powerful. And and I don't want to say that this is against police. And I, I like I, I I don't I I have a hard time with like the Blue Lives Matter movement because it's missing the point. Is that right. when black people are murdered by police? there's no recourse, Mm -hmm. there's no consequence, and there are actually a lot of protections in place even when they are wrongfully killed Mm -hmm. for 
you know, and for many of them being unarmed. Whereas yeah. if a police officer is killed, if they find who did it, you damn well bet they're going to be prosecuted and charged to the fullest yeah. extent of the law. Exactly. This, this is that, this is that, it's a false equivalency. Yeah. And, and, and I have. Well, it's, it's, it's the same problem with the all lives matter mm-hmm. movement is that you're missing the point once again. Yes. Yeah. All my, all lives matter, but all lives ma- can't matter until black lives matter. Yeah. Well, and I also want to be very clear that I am not against the police. I fully right. respect, I know many police officers, and they're good men. They're mm-hmm. good people. Um, and yeah, a lot of I, them go into it because they want yeah. to help. Yeah, and the point isn't to attack all police officers and to say all police officers are evil. The point is that we need to change the systems in place that are allowing the bad ones to get away with it. Yes. And just because not all cops are bad, doesn't mean we shouldn't try to fix the systems that are supporting the ones who are. Yeah. And, um, and that brings me to my last kind of point in this section. Sorry, I know I'm taking a long time. No, um, we're going to go way over. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine, yeah. Um, is qualified immunity, because this is coming up a lot, and I know a lot of people are uh, unsure what it means. So I did some digging and kind of tried to educate myself about it. And so in theory, qualified immunity shields government officials from the lawsuits involving um, novel legal claims. Um, and so the court case, Harlow versus Fitzgerald in 1982, um, that, that stated government officials performing discretionary functions generally are shielded from liability for civil damages insofar as their conduct does not violate clearly established statutory or constitutional rights of which a reasonable person would have known. Um, so a good example of this to kind of put it in perspective is there was a woman, Shawnee's West, who had her house searched by police, who believed her ex, who had a warrant or felony arrest, for a felony arrest, was inside her home. He wasn't, but West gave the police permission to enter her home. In their search, they smashed her windows and fired so much tear gas that her home was uninhabitable for two months. She received $900 to cover those losses. Um, she lost her civil lawsuit because it was determined that the offers were entitled to qualified immunity because there was no previous case specifically stating that when a homeowner gives police consent to enter their house, that consent does not entitle police to smash windows or fire chemical weapons. Uh, So to have won, she would have had to produce a binding precedent establishing that a constitutional rule stating that they could not use these things when they searched her house. Um, uh, Enough to alert these deputies, blah, 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 blah. In a similar case, an inmate, I, don't, I, can't, I couldn't find the original article that I read this in, so I summarized as best I can, um, but a similar case, an inmate was pepper sprayed with no cause um, through the bars, mm-hmm. um, but he was unable to win a civil lawsuit because the precedent involved did not specify unprovoked attacks with pepper spray, only with other weapons. So oh there was goodness. precedent that you couldn't use unprovoked attack or force on an inmate for like a gun or a baton. I can't remember what the weapon was, it was very, but it was like, oh, no, he used pepper spray. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't specifically say pepper spray. It said this other thing. So that's this is this is why there's the issue with qualified immunity is it mm-hmm. puts this great burden on there being already a specific law or precedent in place and to the T, to the letter, or people can't prosecute. So for somebody like George Floyd, unless there is a precedent or a case somewhere already where it, or a specific law that says a police officer 
cannot kneel with their knee on the neck of a detained suspect, mm-hmm. then his family has no recourse. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. There's all the knowledge that I can drop on you about all of this today. <laughs> well, all right. So I'm going to take it over from here. Um, and uh, actually, Beth, uh, you brought this uh, to my attention initially. Mm-hmm. Um, there was and I have a, to give credit to another person who brought it to my attention. Right. <laughs> His name there is Chris. Was, Thank you, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> a, a Bible verse that you saw that you felt was applicable here. Now, I'm going to read the entire Bible verse. It's, it's actually more than just the, the quote that you saw. And okay. I'm going to explain the context of it as well. But okay. also, I, uh, you know, there is an understanding as to how this could be used here. Um, this could be used as a parable for us to view the argument against all lives matter versus black lives matter, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Okay, so um, this is from it's Luke 15, uh, 3 through 7. So Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 7. So he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who don't need repentance. So what this means biblically is that Jesus will leave the 99 repented people to go find that one sinner to save him and to bring him into heaven. And that that's what the the actual context of this is. It, it, you know, it, it was very common for uh the gospels to use farming parables or shepherding parables. Um, to contextualize Jesus's words, well, God's words to man. Um, and so that that's what this was about was it's what it's really about is about um, sinners. Jesus will, will, Jesus would rather bring a sinner to him than, than continue to chase after the people who have already repented. Mm-hmm. Um, but I totally understand why this is being used in the way that it's being used because it's a great way to say to Christians that there is pre-established even from our own God, uh, you know, that, that God will, will hunt down the minority to, to love them. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what that's being used for. I looked up two other verses that I, I feel personally have more of a context with um, fighting against racism. I'm going to read the, the racism. The, the one that I, I feel is the most incredibly important for us, I'm going to read that one last. But mm-hmm. um, this next one is First John 2, 9 through 11. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Um, I I think that one specifically speaks strongly towards what this next one is really, really trying to say, which is that we need to to love our fellow man. Mm -hmm. And race has nothing to do with it. 
Um, so here's the next one, Matthew 22:39, And this is speaking about the Ten Commandments. Um, the second most important commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible makes it very, very clear that we are to love our fellow man. It is one of the main things we are commanded to do in the Bible is to love our fellow man. So if you are a racist, you are not following one of the most important commandments from the God you believe in. You are not living a Christian life if you are not loving your brother. And that means black, white, Asian, it does not matter. You love them because they are another man. And that's it. And I think that's the most important verse that we need to think about as Christians facing this problem. Um, Jesus doesn't tell us love your fellow man unless he's black. Like, it's just, it's not a thing. He does not discriminate. He loves all. And that's what we're commanded to do as well. Um, and, and so that, that's what I've got to say on the matter as far as the, what the Bible has to say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you're, if you're a true follower of Jesus, you should not be a racist. Yeah. Well, and all my friends that are Christian or religious in general, like I appreciate kind of what they bring to the conversation and probably because I have, I mean, to be honest, I've created kind of an echo chamber for myself of (laughs) because if somebody isn't a good Christian, I'm probably not friends with them. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, so I, I appreciate the, the thoughtfulness that you put towards your faith and your religion and what the Bible says in relation to the world. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean it's 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 um it's very clear to me uh when I follow the dictates of my faith and when I follow the the, the Holy Spirit's command within me that mm-hmm. hating somebody for their skin color is not even slightly within the realm of Christian belief. <laughs> it's just, it's not there. So. Um, I have a friend, another friend who, you know, she's Christian and she is very like open and honest about, you know, her faith and um, trying to find, she keeps uh, adding a little a tidbit on the front of all of her, not all of them, but some of her Facebook posts mm-hmm. and I'm trying to find it. It all started with COVID, but now it's, like, kind of bleeded into, you know, a lot of what's happening now. I'm trying to find it. Mm-hmm. I might just have to summarize it from memory because I can't find one of her <laughs> posts. She posts an awful lot. So, oh, here we go. <laughs> she um, she prefaces most of her posts with, hello, Jesus, can you put on your sandals on and come on down? It's an emergency. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I do appreciate, like, the humor that she brings to um, to both her faith and, um, anyways, I, I have a hard time verbalizing things about religion since I'm not religious, and so I don't really fully understand it or grapple with it. But, um, mm-hmm. but I appreciate the people who are that that wield their faith responsibly. <laughs> right, exactly. 
No, uh, it can be it can be hard being a Christian. It feels so often like I am in a weird in between place where I'm too Christian for my liberal friends and too liberal for my Christian friends, which gets <laughs> very frustrating because one's political opinions should never have anything to do with one's faith. Your faith mm-hmm. should be a guiding thing in your life and your political opinion should be secondary to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it, it can be very frustrating for me to, uh, there are a lot of, there were there are a lot of people who identify as Christians who are not living a life of Christianity mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, and I, I'm included amongst that. I identify as Christian, but there I'm still a sinner. There are things that I do that are not things that I should be doing. Um, like I, I'm I'm very lazy, and I will tell a white lie to save somebody's feelings and. Like, I mean, you know, and I I can get jealous and greedy at times, but um, you know, I think I think you have to let love. I, there's another verse. There's another, and I'm not, I'm paraphrasing because I'm not going to go look it up, but it um, that that Christians will be known by their love, and I feel like that's not the case these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wish it were because I think there are plenty of people out there who are following Jesus and and showing the love that he would have them show. Mm-hmm. Oh, but, yeah, it comes into play in this. It really does. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So that's my that's my mm-hmm. little religious soapbox, I guess. <laughs> right. Um, so we have a few organizations that we want to share about that we have personally given to. Mm-hmm. Um in support of this movement and in support of Black Lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the first one I want to share about is um, Black Lives Matter, um, which is mean, obvious. Um, yeah. Let's see. So just to give a little context about the organization, what they support, I mean, obviously it's the, the movement, um, but uh, their, their, their donate site says, you know, we appreciate your support of the movement and our ongoing fight to end state-sanctioned violence, liberate black people, and end white supremacy. So they do have three campaign goals listed, so vigorously engage communities in the electoral process, educate the constituents about candidates and issues that impact us most, and promote voter registration among Generation Z, the black community, and our allies. So those are kind mm-hmm. of like their overarching goals right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want to note something. So, um, you know, renew those Netflix accounts. So right now, so Netflix has a corporate match for their employees, mm-hmm. um, and through a friend of a friend, I found out that they're, um, so if people basically give funds to an employee and have them make the donation, mm-hmm. they'll, uh, Netflix will still honor those as well, so and up to $20,000, and they wow. are matching it 200%, so it is tripled, or wow. doubled, it's, um, so if you donate $25, they will donate fifty, so it's seventy five dollars. Okay. Um, so, so sure, a few of us like we funneled some money together, and um, the thing is, and I and I, I should note that this is um, for any organization, but Black Lives Matter is one of them um, mm-hmm. that's on their list that they'll support. The Bill Fund is another one. Um, others as well. Some of the like um, 
in the GoFundMe's, you know, they won't support a GoFundMe because it's not a nonprofit organization. It's mm-hmm. a fundraiser, so it's a little different. But um, mm-hmm. so I just wanted to give a little shout out to Netflix and some of their employees who are gathering, you know, working to gather funds to be able to make sure those funds get matched for these organizations. That's cool. So good on them. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about the next one? Yeah, so the um, NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund, which is one that I've given to, um, is America's premier legal organization fighting for racial justice through litigation, advocacy, and public education. The LDF seeks structural changes to expand democracy, eliminate disparities, and achieve racial justice in a society that fulfills the promise of equality for all Americans. LDF also defends the gains and protections won over the past 75 years of civil rights struggles and works to improve the quality and diversity of judicial and executive appointments. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think... Um, yeah. oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go. I was just going to say, I think that the nice thing about giving to an organization like Black Lives Matter and NAACP is it's... Um, and I, I kind of want to get on my fundraising soapbox about unrestricted funds. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and when we give to kind of, I mean, this is a very specific cause, mm-hmm. but um, when you give to something that's so specific, and granted, I did give to the George Floyd Memorial Fund. I didn't mm-hmm. put it on this list because they have, their original goal was $1.5 million, and last I checked, it was $11.9 million. Um, <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> they're probably fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, not that I don't think that that money is going to go to very good and worthy use because I have faith that they will use anything remaining from what they need receptively mm-hmm. um, and for the cause. But that being said, when we give to something so restricted, um, again, often things get overfunded mm-hmm. and things that people don't think about get underfunded because yeah. whereas if we give to an organization that's kind of blanket like NAACP, like Black Lives Matter, it's going to go to the greatest need. It's going to go to an area where they need it the most. Um, so I just want to put that out there and keep that in mind when you're giving, not that I don't think that you should, A, give to small local organizations, give to specific causes when they need it, Mm -hmm. um, but be very mindful. And I know there was one in particular, like the Minnesota Freedom Fund in particular has even stated and have, have given out statements that like we've well over exceeded our goals. Mm -hmm. Please consider giving to these other organizations that need it more right now. Yeah. Um, so I think especially in a cause like this when it's getting so much attention and there's a lot and a lot of reasons I think that why the Minnesota Freedom Fund has gotten so much is because a lot of really big name celebrities have given. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, be mindful and do your research, yeah. you know, to make sure that your dollars are going to something that um, has a great impact. And I will say like a lot of your local funds, those are great places to give, especially in smaller rural areas and especially in white predominant areas they probably need it more than maybe, you know, other areas that might have a little more already. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I totally get that. I, Mm -hmm. I, uh, working in a church, you definitely see designated versus non-designated funds. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like currently our church has been taking an offering, offering for a COVID-19 project that feeds, um, school children who aren't getting school lunches. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that we're currently doing through our church, but we, you know, we we have a a basic project mission fund is what it's called that gives to a ton of different mission projects mm-hmm. uh, similar to that. And one of the ones that we give to is actually a um, 
it is a local charity that um, helps families who are seeking legal admission into the country pay mm-hmm. for those expenses, um, which is really cool. And it's just a local charity, uh, but it's really mm-hmm. it's a really neat one. But it's like like you were saying, it's very specific. Yeah. Um, and there are things that people can miss. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's great to give to those two larger ones. And we've list, listed two slightly smaller um, uh, charities as well. Mm-hmm. Right. That we can give yeah. to. Yeah. And there's a, a good and these are just only specific funds that we personally have given to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we there's a lot out there. So do your research and. Mm-hmm. Find something that is meaningful to you that um, is that has values that you support and respect. And there's there's a lot out there. Yeah. These are only four that we, you know, particularly felt compelled to. So mm-hmm. putting that out there. All right, you take the next one. Okay, so the Bail Project, which is the other one that I felt really driven to give to right now. Um, their statement is, we believe that paying bail for someone in need is an act of resistance against a system that criminalizes race and poverty and an act of solidarity with local communities and movements for decarceration. Over the next five years, the Bail Project will open dozens of sites in high-need jurisdictions with the goal of paying bail for tens of thousands of low-income Americans, all while collecting stories and data that prove money bail is not necessary to ensure people return to court. We won't stop until meaningful change is achieved and the presumption of innocence is no longer for sale. Yeah. That's the, the bail project, yeah. bailproject.org. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking for something immediate, um, like I said, I think the bail project is good because it's overarching. They have a lot of locations and they have a lot of, they're, they're active in a lot of cities mm-hmm. um, all across the nation. Um, there are a lot of GoFundMe's for local bail funds for the specifically for people incarcerated for the recent protests and riots. Mm-hmm. Um, so but also the you. bail project gives to yes. that. They're they're actually yes. currently yes. one of their current missions is bailing out people mm-hmm. who have been arrested for protesting. Yes. I would check there if the bail project doesn't have like a site or center. I don't know where mm-hmm. all they're giving to. Like I said, you might just do your research. But like I said, some of those local funds that are kind of uh, maybe a little more quick to action because they're just funneling it directly, again, look into right. things. Yeah. Yeah, do your research. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other one that I recently gave to you is uh, Campaign Zero, which you can find. Um, we're, all of these things are going to be on our Instagram slash Facebook. Yeah, we'll put um, uh, Is These are funds, funds donated to Campaign Zero support the analysis of policing practices across the country, research to identify effective solutions to end police violence, um, technical assistance to organizers leading police accountability campaigns, and the development of model legislation and advocacy to end police violence nationwide. Um, So again, I just felt like that was a really important cause and a really important um, something to support. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. All right. So... I, I, I jotted down some final thoughts. I don't know. Do you want to, do you have any final thoughts of your own that you want to share? Um, no, not really. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for, for your final thoughts. All right. And so these really are just things that I've kind of taken away, especially participating in, um, uh, Blackout Tuesday, which was really, I know it started with the music industry and I know a lot of, especially there are some black celebrities that have been very vocal about how it really went wrong. Um, and I get it, and I hear it, and I'm trying to, like, grow and learn and kind of figure out, but it did gain a lot of, like, incredible momentum. 
Um, but I see how in some ways it kind of backfired in hiding the information of Black Lives Matter in black boxes. Right. Um, but that being said, it was a really great day for me to seek out information and continue to educate myself and share those resources that I'm finding, um, particularly with, you know, again, my, my social reach is predominantly white. So that's really who I post to. Um, and so final thoughts that I've kind of taken away from everything that's going on is that a, we need to raise up the voices of people of color, um, share their work, support their businesses. Um, again, the more that we can share their words, their experiences, their work, the better, as opposed to us just trying to explain it for them. Yeah. Yeah. Lift their voices, share their voices, support their causes, support their businesses, support their work. Um, be vigilant, call out injustice, no matter how small, and embrace the discomfort. Um, but that being said, spend your energy where it can make a difference. And I've heard a lot about that recently of, like, be done debating that black lives matter because they do. Not to say yeah. that you shouldn't call out all lives matter because you should. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, but it's not a debate. The yeah. debates should be on policy. The debates should be on who should lead us through this. The debates should be on what are we going to do next. Mm-hmm. We're done debating that there's racism. We're done debating that Black Lives Matter. We're done. Yeah. Let's be done. <laughs> um, yeah. And like I said, your, your racist uncle who uses the N-word at Thanksgiving, call him out. But, like, don't waste your energy. Don't waste your breath. Yeah. You're not going to change his mind. And it's yeah. waste your energy on the people that say all lives matter because they're, they're, they're headed in the right direction. They just need a little guidance. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. They care about people. They, they want equality. They're just going about it in the wrong way. They're missing yeah. the message. Yeah. Um, educate yourself, especially on local policies and ordinances. That is what has the most effect on your everyday life and the lives of the people of color around you. Mm-hmm. Um, more so than, you know, we, we, need, we need federal legislation, obviously. We need federal leadership, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but really on the local level, this is where change really happens. Um, and vote. Agreed. Vote. Get out there and I'm not do telling you how to vote. I'm telling you to get out and do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of telling you how to vote. <laughs> I'm making suggestions. <laughs> like, don't vote for racists? Maybe yeah. don't do that? I mean, if you can. <laughs> Here's the thing, is I think if, if everybody in this country voted, I honestly think my candidates would win. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everything, that I've, everything that I've seen supports that. <laughs> I mean, I certainly hope this year. I mean, I don't know. That's so another tired. topic. That is yeah, another topic. Exactly. I'm so tired about it. Maybe in November I'll have enough energy to talk about it. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. So, yeah. That's what I leave everybody with. And I, it's, it's, good. it's all good. Yeah. I, yeah. I like to spend your energy where it can make a difference. I was just uh, I was just saying the other day. I honestly know a lot of really really great people who 
fall under a category that I used to laugh off a lot, which I called generational racism. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, ha-ha, Grandpa, can't yeah. say that anymore, you know, that kind of thing. I and, used a lot of the, like, well, they were raised that way, we can't blame them. Right? But we can. And what? And my thing is, I particularly feel like a lot of these people have good hearts, and they're mm-hmm. the type of people that you can hold to the new standard. Exactly. You can say to them in a loving way, you can't say those things anymore. Mm-hmm. Because they contribute to this attitude of racism that's in the United States. Yeah. And, and we need to be better. If you're struggling to call people out, then educate mm-hmm. yourself on finding the language to make you more confident and comfortable doing so. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's good advice. Mm-hmm. You're smart. I try. <laughs> <laughs> I have my moments. <laughs> all that all that book learning really paid off for you. <laughs> and what we what we take on as topics. I'm sure that we'll return to lighter subjects and chit-chatty, but I'm glad that you and I took this moment to have this discussion. I agree. I, I think it was necessary, and it, it felt wrong to talk about rom-coms when all of this is going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe, I would have been very uncomfortable. About more, more uncomfortable than calling out racism. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and hey, maybe that's progress. Right. <laughs> All righty. Well. All right. Well, then uh, call me on Wednesday. I will call you on Wednesday. Hi. Right, bye. Bye.